Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. There is a lot of talk these days about being the goat. Not the furry, sometimes shrieking animal spotted on farms and sometimes on viral memes and YouTube videos. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with the YouTube videos, don't bother. It'll drive you insane. I'm not talking about goats as in terms of animals. I'm talking about GOAT, the acronym. G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. <laughs> for those of you who maybe didn't pick that up on the mic, go Dodgers. So for you, you know... Go angels, just so we're fair across the board. But you're going right where I was going to go, Geneva. Thank you, because many sports fans have not crowned the Dodgers per se the team, but many sports fans have crowned the NFL quarterback Tom Brady as the GOAT because of his numerous playoff appearances, MVP seasons, and seven Super Bowl championships. Now, others might argue for the Dodgers, or they might argue for an athlete like Joe DiMaggio, Bill Russell, Jack Joyner-Kersey, Wayne Gretzky, Simone Biles, Michael Jordan, that better deserve that title. And for those of us who are old enough, we can all remember the world-famous boxer Muhammad Ali once proclaimed himself the greatest of all time. So, thank you. I was really worked hard on that. <laughs> it gets better from there. Um, <laughs> Man, good to be back. It's really good to be back. Um, But again, seriously, talk of being the GOAT need not remain limited to the world of sports. Because we all have, we all of us have deep within us a desire to excel, a longing for significance. I mean, in many ways, the quest for greatness is thrust upon us almost from birth. I mean, from the moment we start out in this world, we are graded, ranked, compared alongside others. I still remember the first, we had, when we had our first child going to the doctor and being told weight, height, and all this, how they ranked. And I'm like, wow, is that bad? Is that good? Is, you know, I mean, from the moment we come into this world, we're graded, we're ranked and compared alongside others. And as we grow up, we start building our resumes. And in these days, we start building our online profiles. And our resumes and our online profiles, they all boast our achievements. Because in one sense, that is what they are designed to do, to make the case for our greatness. I mean, no one wants to be no one, right? We all feel the push to be somebody, to be great, to be the best, In fact, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld once brilliantly captured how innately strong this pull is within us when he remarked once on his problem with winning a silver medal, with coming in second place. Jerry Seinfeld once said, you know, when you win the gold, you feel good. And when you win the bronze, you think, well, at least I got something. But when you win the silver, it's like, congratulations, you almost won. Of all the losers, you came in first in that group. You're the number one loser. No one lost ahead of you. Now, in all seriousness, again, whether you're an athlete, a student, an employee, or a boss, whether we're a sibling, a parent, or a spouse, we all strive to be the best. The GOAT, the greatest of all time in our field, in our station in life. But how does one become a GOAT? What makes a person the greatest of all time? And what is that measure of greatness that will get us there? What is it? And how do we recognize it? How do we recognize greatness when we see it? Well, as the sum of our lives continues at times to be whittled down to bullet points, 
supported by photos, tweets, and descriptive hashtags, Jesus is about to teach us in today's passage from the Gospel of Luke what true greatness is and how we can take hold of it. So if you have your Bibles open, let's hear the word of the Lord today, also on the screen. I'll go back a verse because I think I'm missing one on the, on the slide there. Um, let's see. Sorry. And our, um, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did and said to his disciples, Jesus said, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right on the other side of yet another miraculous healing, something that Drew preached on, Pastor Drew preached on last week. You remember that of a poor father's demon-possessed son. Right on the other side of that miraculous healing. And while everyone else is marveling at what Jesus has done yet again, the 12 disciples, Jesus' chosen followers, are preoccupied with other concerns. As what likely began as a friendly debate, you know, a conversation to pass the time, has abruptly turned into an argument between them. And what is the topic of this growing dispute? You heard it. Luke tells us it was over the question, who might be, of who would be the greatest among them. Now, to be clear, the measure of greatness the disciples were squabbling over appears to be about which of them was closest to Jesus. That's what they're arguing about. Who would, who's closest to Jesus? Which of them knew Jesus best? Which of them were most privileged in his counsel? Which of them would rank highest in the pecking order as followers of Christ. And also notice, if you didn't catch this, that they're not assessing themselves currently as they are now. No, the disciples are looking forward, right? They're envisioning, they're anticipating, they're predicting who among them would prove to be the greatest when all is said and done. And you know, you kind of wonder, maybe such speculation, this whole question got raised because of Jesus' recent trip up a mountain, something that Pastor Drew preached on two weeks ago. Do you remember that trip? When Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and left the other disciples behind. And while up there, if you recall this story, Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus' glory in a way the other disciples did not. And perhaps it was the perception of these three disciples having the apparent inside track with Jesus that sparked the ensuing conversation, which spiraled into a quarrel. Who knows? Either way, what is clear here is as they jockey for position, each disciple clearly fancies himself as having what it takes to be the best, to be the goat, the greatest of all time when it comes to following Jesus. Now, where we started reading this morning, only moments earlier, this is important, just before this moment, Jesus tells his disciples, and he says this specifically, listen carefully. And then he shares with them the news of his approaching sacrifice, his willing suffering and death that's upcoming. But Luke tells us right after that the disciples couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying, that it was hidden from their understanding. And what I want to ask you is, is it possible, do you think it's possible in a sad touch of irony 
that it was the disciples' internal preoccupation in sizing up their relative importance to each other that prevented them from being able to track with Jesus. You know, the reason why they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying is so they, because they were so consumed with themselves. With, well, where, how, where do I rank in this? Am I one? Am I four? Am I 12? Where am I? And we really need to stop and pay attention to that. Because, beloved, we need to take note of this, especially in these days of increasing competition and even polarization within the church. We need to take note of the fact that any presumptive rivalry within the body of Christ actually gets in the way of us truly understanding who Jesus is, the kind of Lord and Savior we worship. We also need to take note that any assertion of perceived superiority between and among other Christians that we, that we again, put forth as disciples of Jesus, that kind of arrogance, that kind of presumptiveness, that kind of superior sense of superiority actually takes us off course, leading us away from rather than towards following Christ. And the fact that this is most certainly true, this caution that I'm giving us here, is evident by what Jesus does next, how Jesus responds to this brewing tempest in a teapot. Going beyond the explicit debate between the disciples, Luke tells us Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew their thoughts. In other words, Jesus was able to recognize more than what they were arguing about, and the what is who's the greatest, who's going to be the greatest among us. Jesus could discern the underlying issue, the why and the how of why, they, of arguing, of why they're arguing about it. Meaning Jesus could perceive the disciples' flawed perception of what true greatness is. And so seeking to move beyond the initial question that's fueling their debate, Jesus takes a child, draws a child by his side to interrupt their argument. And with this child standing before them, Jesus declares to his followers, here again are his words, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And then Jesus, you recall, rounds out this proclamation with these words. For it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. Now something I wonder if you catch, and Jesus does this all the time, by the way, is Jesus in his answer implicitly reframes the question to being less about who is the greatest and rather what defines true greatness in the kingdom of God. And this reframe of the disciples' question immediately becomes clear as with his words, again, Jesus directs their attention towards a child standing in their midst. Because it's a redirection that would have surprised his followers. This child that Jesus suddenly is now putting in the center of their attention. Because in the Greco-Roman and Judean world, while child, children were loved by their parents as they are today, Unlike today, back then, a family's survival depended upon everyone being able to contribute to the welfare of the home. Everyone needed to take part. And therefore, until a child could bear some of the load, do their part, he or she was, though they were loved, he or she was, for all intents and purposes, an economic liability. Children then in the ancient world were actually ranked among the least of these. The poor, the powerless, the marginalized, entirely dependent upon adults, children had no social standing, no social significance. And yet carefully pay attention to what Jesus says. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is aligning himself 
Jesus is aligning being in his presence with welcoming a child. To welcome a child, someone who has no social value, no social standing, Jesus asserts is the same thing as receiving and embracing him, Christ. And Jesus, you know, goes even further than this as he adds, to receive a child is to receive the one who sent him. In other words, to receive someone who, again, has no social value or social standing is the same thing as receiving God the Father and Jesus the Son. Whereas we tend to measure greatness in our perceived stature, we speak of greatness, we're talking about perceived stature or greatness through comparison to others, Jesus presents greatness being found in our connection to him, knowing and following Christ. While some may still maintain that greatness is being the best at what you do in life, Jesus unflinchingly proclaims greatness is not inherent to a person. Great, greatness is not inherent to a person. But again, greatness is established by our relationship to him. Beloved, in the kingdoms of our own making, in the kingdoms of our own making, greatness is measured by high position, it's by fame, it's measured by money, and it's measured by power. In our kingdoms, no child would qualify as great, let alone as the greatest. In fact, we, are, we approach it the opposite way, right? We view, we raise, we spur children on to possibly become great, to work hard to achieve greatness, right? But if greatness comes from God, being in relationship to Christ, and again, Jesus equates welcoming him with welcoming a child, then if greatness comes from God being in relationship with Christ, then in the kingdom of God, greatness, the greatness of God is to be found in all children. And of course, the child Jesus places before his disciples is representative of more than a specific demographic. It's about more than children. The child is representative of everyone. Everyone who's on the fringes, everyone who's overlooked, of those persons and groups of people who seem to us not even to be in the field of consideration for any discussion of greatness. In the eyes of the world, greatness looks like people who do great deeds, those who gain great power and recognition. And by this measure in our world, such persons are selectively few in number. But again, Jesus frames greatness in the kingdom of God quite differently. Jesus' object lesson, don't miss this, prohibits comparison between his followers. Because if greatness can be found in the least of these through relationship to Christ, then the same greatness can be found in all people. Not limited to a few persons, but in everyone, even a little child. My brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Greatness once was ours because of the one who first fearfully and wonderfully created us in his image. Greatness was ours. But we rejected that ultimate standard of greatness in pursuit of our own glory, seeking our own greatness apart from God. And as a result, ever since then, true greatness, true greatness continues to elude us. For whatever greatness we boast in achieving on our own inevitably gets acquired. That greatness that we try to get on our own inevitably gets acquired by putting down the competition, right? 
by leaving people behind, by disqualifying others from having the same opportunities as we do. And there's nothing great about any of that. There's nothing great about any of that. Leaving people behind, disqualifying others, or putting down competition. Because all along the way, this pursuit of greatness born of our pride cannot satisfy our gnawing fears and insecurity. Because even when we think, even when others tell us we're the best, we still keep looking over our shoulder at who is coming up behind us. We still struggle to be content with whatever we have, always wanting more but never having enough. Beloved, the good news, the gospel, is greatness is not something we have to achieve. We don't become great because we do, we take all the right actions. We don't become great because we conquer every obstacle before us. We don't become great because we're better than all the rest. Greatness becomes ours through the one who comes down in the midst of all our brokenness and incompleteness. Greatness becomes ours through the one who comes down and graciously redeems the relationship with God we so carelessly throw away. Greatness becomes ours thanks to the one who lovingly forgives our flaws and failures and in so doing restores our full potential to become the best of who we were created to be by our creator. Greatness becomes ours because of the one who willingly dies to clean up the mess we've all made and then conquers death, resurrecting our hope for a full, abundant, and everlasting life. That's true greatness. That's the gospel. And in light of the gospel, the question that lingers is how do we live out of this greatness that is ours, not because of any of our achievements, but only thanks to the finished work and ongoing presence of Jesus? How do we live out of this greatness? And one more time, let's picture the child standing before Jesus and in front of his disciples. And again, here Jesus declaring that in welcoming those who are like this child, those who are vulnerable physically, economically, and socially, we are welcoming him and we are welcoming the Father who sent him. If greatness comes from God, from being in relationship to Christ, then we are in the closest proximity to Jesus. We are following his lead when we are welcoming and serving the least of these in his name. Greatness then in the kingdom of God does not derive from accumulating wealth, titles, accolades, and accomplishments, or advancing our own status and interests. Again, that's chasing after our own glory rather than following Christ. No, if we want to experience and reflect the goodness, the best of what Christ offers to us, then by the grace of God and through the power of the Spirit, we must engage the world. We must engage each other like Jesus did. True greatness is ours. The more we reflect Jesus, the more we embody Christ to others. Therefore, let us remember, how did Jesus come into our lives? How did Jesus come into our lives? Jesus came into this world not among the great ones, but rather, as the Apostle Paul will later write, Jesus emptied himself and laid aside the glory of his divinity, all for the sake of attending himself 
to the poor and suffering of this world. True greatness is ours. The more we reflect Jesus, the more we embody Christ to others. Again, let us take note in both his purpose and his work. With whom did Jesus align himself while he was on this earth? By his own designation, not just in words, but through his actions. In moments like that time when Jesus took off his outer garment, grabbed a towel and a basin, and knelt before his disciples, his followers, and washed their feet In Christ's ultimate act of willingly being stripped of all his dignity, of offering his life for all the world on a Roman cross, Jesus presents himself not primarily as a Lord or as a king or even a savior. Jesus presents himself as a servant, a servant of all who are in need. True greatness is ours. The more we reflect Jesus, the more we embody Christ to others. So again, let us reflect in extending the call for us to follow. Where did Jesus direct us to find him? Where is Jesus to be found today? In the aftermath of his resurrection and his ascension, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, Jesus told us we would continue to find him among the least of these, among the forgotten and downtrodden among the persecuted and the disenfranchised. Beloved, hear it again. True greatness is ours as we perceive, as we welcome, as we affirm the dignity, value, and worth of another person in the name of Jesus, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. As someone created in the image of God, as someone forgiven, saved, and sought after by Christ, just like us. Our path to greatness lies in following Jesus, again, in welcoming the stranger, in caring for the vulnerable and the overlooked, in protecting and giving voice to the weak, the helpless, and the hurting, in advocating for those who have been unjustly sidelined and excluded. And when Jesus assures us, when Christ assures us, it is the least among us who is the greatest, he is not advocating for a hierarchy of service. You know, the more people you serve in the name of Jesus, the greater you are. No. Something that's rampant in the church that we need to be very, very aware of and take care, caution about is we must take care not to serve others out of our own need. Serving others out of our own need. And some of you are like, huh, what does that mean? Serving others out of our own need. If the basis of our service to others bringing a backpack, helping somebody out, bearing a load for them, if the basis of our service to others is to ease our conscience, is to feel better about ourselves, is to gain the notice and approval of those around us, then we're not serving others in the name of Jesus. We're serving others for ourselves We haven't actually experienced Jesus because if we've experienced Jesus, then our conscience should be eased. If we've encountered Christ, then we should feel better about ourselves because we know who we are in Christ. If we've encountered Jesus, if we're following him, then we don't worry about gaining the notice and approval of others because we have the eye of God upon us. Not looking upon us judgingly, not looking upon us scornfully, but looking upon us lovingly and saying, you have been set free, you have been forgiven, you have been redeemed. Go and be the best at who you can become. 
we must take care not to serve others out of our own need. If we're helping and serving others more for our sake than for theirs, then we aren't living for the kingdom of God. As hard as this may be for us to hear, we're living for the kingdom of our own making. And that kingdom will always fall. I've seen people come and go in the church. Come and go who come in and they come in and, how can I serve? How can I help? And then in the midst of serving, you know, I don't get it. No one, no one ever acknowledges me. No one ever recognizes what I do. Or you know what? How can I do more? Well, we're fine. No, I want to do more. Why do you want to do more? I want to do more because I owe a lot to God. You don't owe anything to God. No, 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 you don't understand. i got to give it back. No, you don't. And I've seen people come and go, and why do they go? Because the body of Christ, the community of the church, is not a place to minister out of your own need. The body of Christ is a place to minister out of the grace of God. It's to minister out of letting God's love and faithfulness that you are tasting and seeing and experiencing your life flow out of you rather than you're grasping for it, trying to take hold of it. Again, greatness is not something we achieve. If you don't hear anything this morning, I hope you hear that. Greatness is not something we achieve. Greatness is something we reflect from within us as a gift received, as a gift available to all, as a gift that benefits everyone in Jesus Christ. When you're baptized, for those of you to whom this applies, when you baptize your child, you are claiming their greatness because of Christ. Don't get baptized. Don't baptize your child and then reverse the message and spend the rest of your life trying to be great. Don't baptize your kid and then spend the rest of his or her life telling them, you got to work hard. you got to be something. you got to be great. They already are someone. They already are great. Don't reverse it. Encourage them and empower them to live out of their identity in Christ. And by the way, that's why when parents baptize their children, we ask you to stick around for a while. Because we want to continue to hear, for you to hear that message because that message of the gospel is counter to the message you're going to hear everywhere else around you. We're out of fear. At times out of a sense of comparison and competition, you're going to be encouraged to be great, for your kids to be great. And if your kids are great, then you're great. But greatness is not something we achieve. It's a gift received. It's a gift available to all. It's a gift that benefits everyone in Jesus Christ. And here's the key. As we accept God's invitation for greatness, we enter into the reality of what God's doing, of the opportunities the Spirit of Christ is offering us. Here's how you can tell. When greatness is defined by you or by somebody else, you're pursuing your agenda or theirs. But when greatness comes from the grace of God, from who we are in Christ, then you know you're living out of true greatness because your agenda is based upon the reality of what God is already doing in your life. The opportunities the Spirit of Christ is putting before you, offering to you. And, you know, I have lots of conversations with people like, I don't, I don't see where God's working in my life. I don't know how God's showing up. I don't know what God wants me to do. And let me tell you what I tell people when they talk to me about this. The daily opportunities that God puts before us are not hard to miss. They are, more often than not, the small, seemingly insignificant moments. Those moments, from our perception, that appear to be ill-timed interruptions, but that are, in truth, frequent divine appointments. Divine appointments that can have eternal consequences that are not necessarily big in the moment but are big in the ways that God continues to build on those small 
insignificant, breaking those moments of perceived interruption, small acts of obedience, small acts of saying yes to God. Everybody's looking for the big, big thing that God's doing in their life. And no one ever steps back and realizes that maybe the big thing that God's doing in your life, you're going to see at the end of your life in all the small things. Small things that you entered into, that you made time for, that you realized this is where God's present. This is where God wants me. This is what God's up to. You want to know what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like? Greatness in the kingdom of God looks like slowing down. And man, that's still a word today. Greatness in the kingdom of God means slowing down and noticing and coming alongside those who are struggling. Greatness in the kingdom of God looks like being open rather than closed. Being available rather than too busy. When another person risks admitting their vulnerability and asking you for help. Greatness in the kingdom of God looks like being compassionate and forgiving rather than judgmental and condemning when encountering another person who's having a bad day. And every day, we all encounter people who are having a bad day. And we're called to be salt and light in those moments to not be like everybody else who's judging, condemning, maybe even calling them out, and instead is having some compassion, having some forgiveness, realizing, and I'm not saying anything that we all don't know, that that could be us on any given day. That we all have bad days. That we all present ourselves at times that are not likable where people around us go, man, so excited when he or she left the room. Greatness in the kingdom of God is instead of giving into that, just that instinctive judgment or condemnation to say compassion, forgiveness. And that compassion and forgiveness is not going to be found within yourself because, again, if all of us can have our bad days, we're all going to be presumptive and say, well, how could that person be like it? We're blind to our own log and our own eye. Jesus tells us that. That compassion and forgiveness is going to come not from you drawing it from within yourself. It's going to come from saying, Jesus, I know you're here right now. Help me not to be ranking myself compared to this person saying, well, I'm better than him or her, but instead to see before me a child just like me. Your heart, your mind will change. They will be changed in that moment. Greatness in the kingdom of God, what does it look like? It looks like standing up and speaking out when another child of God is being abused. When another child of God is being taken advantage of or just plain disrespected, instead of observing from a distance and saying or doing nothing as we just walk on by. Greatness in the kingdom of God is reflecting the presence of Jesus, people. The character of Christ to others who are having a hard time seeing and believing that Jesus is really there. That Jesus is truly for them rather than against them. And we all have these moments, small moments, seemingly insignificant moments. We all have these interruptions where these are opportunities for greatness in our lives. Make no mistake here. The disciples are acting childish. And so are we. We are acting childish whenever our living together on this planet gets reduced to nothing more than an endless competition and a constant game of comparison. In response, Jesus is calling them and calling us not to be childish, but to be childlike. 
to embrace a childlike faith and humility that removes the need for competition, that removes the push towards comparison. Because a desire for greatness is innate to us all. It is. A desire for greatness is innate in all of us because making us in his image, God has made us to be great and to do great things. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our friendships, within our spheres of influence, the Lord has a pathway toward greatness for you and me, for us together. But it's far beyond the varying ways we tend to quantify and qualify greatness. It's far beyond a six-figure salary. It's far beyond the coveted awards that we treasure. It's far beyond the prestigious titles that we keep or social status. It's far beyond even our own self-defined bragging rights. No, God our Father maintains a distinct, singular measuring stick for determining greatness. And in our forgetfulness and rebellion, God came down to embody that reflection of true greatness, of who we were meant to be, of who we can become. In Jesus Christ. Beloved, God refuses to define the greatness of your life in dollars or cents. God refuses to define the greatness of your life by your family, your friends, or your kids. God refuses to define the greatness of your life based on your paycheck, your promotion, or your raises. God refuses to define the greatness of your life based on your education, your possessions, your accomplishments, or your accolades. No, our greatness comes in relationship to Jesus, the Jesus who comes for us, the Jesus who claims us, the Jesus who redeems us, the Jesus who empowers us as God's children. Our greatness is reflected in following Christ, being like Jesus in a broken and hurting world. So like Jesus, let us give ourselves, give of ourselves and invest our lives so that others would also be able to know and grow, to thrive and mature in God's loving presence, in the amazing grace of their maker. Let us reflect the greatness of God we have received in Christ through our service towards each other but our service particularly to those in need. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.